0: Hi, welcome to Carbon Design's Mindshed Podcast. I'm Scott Gellum, and I'll be your host today. We'll explore new ways of thinking, new technologies, and new insights to help drive business performance. So let's get started. Okay, so we have a really interesting guest today. So in July, we had a a meeting at Gartner. Uh, Brent Adamson, who I want to introduce in a second, here was the host. That led to me questioning uh, uh, the value of outbound sales based on the research that Gartner shared, shared with us. Uh, Dave Brock responded with a blog post. I then interviewed him about his views on outbound sales. And now it's led to a full circle coming back to the troublemaker who started all of this, who started this online video blog, back and forth, sales marketing, is marketing worth it, is sales worth it? So. Brent, glad to have you this morning, and just as a way of intro, Brent is VP, Distinguished VP at uh, Gartner. He's also co-author of two really best-selling business books, The Challenger Sale, which many people know, and The, chall- the Challenger Customer, and he speaks all around the world to all these people, but I think he's most well-known for his intros when he presents in front of people, so Brent, let's get him riled up, let's get him going, and do an intro.
1: <laughs> all right, Scott, so good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. That's that's It's always twice, and it's always loud. <laughs> morning, Brent. So uh, a little bit different from what we've done in the past, we actually
0: allowed people to submit questions online for awesome. the interview and actually attend if they wanted. We had some limited spots. Interesting thing about it was that we had a lot of questions, but not a lot of people wanted to attend the live event, which to me is kind of like we're in an on-demand world now where people want to be able to watch and learn on their own time, and they're very busy during the day. So you know what? more power to
1: them. So I think the, the other take is we're all actually introverts. We just don't know it or don't want to admit it. And we're all kind of shy that that might be it too. Just thinking out <laughs> loud.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. And, and it may be the fact that it may be more marketing people that are shy than salespeople.
1: Yeah. Uh, or, or we all work from our homes these days and everybody's in their pajamas and nobody wants to know that. They, they want everyone else to know that. But anyway, yeah, we can speculate for an hour on this one. <laughs>
0: That's why I'm wearing
1: shorts underneath here. Uh, <laughs>
0: Oh, good. So we we got a number of questions related to to your books, uh, and particularly around the Challenger sale. You know, it's been out for like eight years now. I yeah, think, eight years, and so people were asking about you know what's you know stayed true. What are the new insights that you may have developed as you've seen this evolve over the last eight years, and and sales evolving as well, and and responding to different economies that we've uh, experienced over that time. So yeah I know you're going to unpack more of this as we get further into the re- recent research, but what are the themes kind of high level that you see that you see that are still relevant or things that may be evolving or things that you've gained insight now that you didn't know back then, but it starts to make some sense
1: sure yeah, and, and again this we'll, we'll have to kind of take this step by step, but the um, couple of things i would I would share with your audience Scott is, is the um well one actually it's funny while the book is eight years old. The research is actually 10 years old. So we first found the Challenger idea in our research in the spring and May of 2009. So it's literally been 10 years. And what's really interesting, I think, over the years is we've continued to study the model itself and then all the different sort of implications around it is that even as recently as 12 months ago or even six months ago in our latest research, the story continues to remain true in the sense that if you think about sort of what sits at the heart and soul of Challenger or the concept of Challenger, is this idea of commercial insight and the degree to which a supplier organization is approaching customers with ideas, with concepts, with insight that aren't really about the supplier's business but about the customer's business helping them understand new ways to make money save money mitigate risk and i've said that a bazillion times around the world but but what we found is that that approach still plays out as an effective commercial strategy for sales for marketing for b2b suppliers is to to ensure that you're approaching your customers with a with a story of not so much why they need to buy but why they need to change and i think that's a a crucial sort of thing to think about as you as you think about growth with customers, whether it's an existing customer or acquiring a new customer, really what you're asking them to do is change their behavior to adopt a new set of policies, a new set of technologies, a a new set of practices. And that's going to require a significant amount of change in organization. And and you've got to give them a reason why, right? So why is it important for me? What's What's in it for me? What's worth it? Why is it worth it to me to go on that journey of change? So so we still find, and without sort of convincing your customers to go on that journey of change, they're probably not going to change. They're going to, you know, the status quo bias, this very strong sort of tendency to say what we're doing now maybe isn't as good as that, but it's probably good enough. And so so therefore, they don't change. And as a result, you don't sell. So all of that is still true. And I think what we're finding today is the, the compelling need to create uh, that sort of reason to change for your customers as high today as it ever was before. The thing, though, that it, I think the story with Challenger, commercial insight more broadly for us is we've seen the story evolve and, and the context within which it plays out over the evolve over the last 10 years is it's is a story still of yes, but it's a story of yes, but, <laughs> or yes, and, right? Because the context in which all this plays out now has actually changed radically over the last 10 years or so and, and across two dimensions, one on the customer side, one on the supplier side. So on the customer, and this is what we can dig into, I would imagine, one on the customer side is just, it's become so much harder to change, right? So much more people, so much more information. We could dig into that on the one hand, and then two, on, uh, on the supplier side, sort of the things that we've been doing to engage customers in that change story have exa- actually exacerbated the problem, made it harder and harder to sort of break through with that change story. So there's been, so it is, there's a, so today what's interesting is the number one thing we find suppliers can do to drive commercial benefit isn't necessarily commercial insight, although the benefit there still remains huge from what we're seeing. But there's actually other ideas around sort of just simplifying this change journey, understanding this change journey, making buying easier. And and again, by making buying easier, it's really kind of making change easier. So we can dig into that stuff. But the, uh, but so the the short answer to the question is, yes, still really, really important, but uh, it plays out in a very different context today than it did 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I know I've read uh, somewhere around uh, over 1,500 companies are using challengers or sales methodology. So given the time and given that size of organizations that have adopted, what impact have you seen on the marketing side? So if, you know, if sales guys are leading with these insights, someone's going to be developing them, someone's going to be packaging them, the content. Yeah. Someone's be, you know, and to your point, it's harder to buy today than it has in the past. What is marketing doing or how has marketing responded
1: to this? Well, you know, there's a, there's a, boy, there's so much to talk about and unpack here, Scott. I think it's so interesting, right? Because the first of all, is just the, the phrase Challenger as a sales methodology. To be truth be told, what's really interesting about Challenger, and, and I, if I could rewind the clock 10 years and and reset sort of expectations around language, this idea of sales methodology would be the first thing I'd want to blow up because it was actually never meant to be a quote-unquote sales methodology, but that's, to your point, that's how a lot of companies talk about it. I go to sales meetings, we're, about, we're rolling out the sales methodology Challenger um, the way I think about Challenger or just commercial insight more broadly is more as a um as a commercial strategy. It's a go-to-market model. It's how you interact with your customers more broadly, and and to the degree that and so one of the reasons why that matters is because oftentimes we found particularly early on is that marketing was kind of late to the table in this approach because again they saw it as here's something my sales reps are doing and they're being trained on Challenger either I don't need to know about it or I just need to be aware of it tangentially. But to your point. The heart and soul of Challenger, in many ways, is the conversation that you're having with your customer and the content by which you do that. And and arguably, marketing owns co-owns that with sales, if not primarily owns that. And so, if Challenger, if companies quote unquote going on the Challenger journey, are not engaging their marketing teams, they're unlikely to be successful because someone's got to generate that insight. Someone's got to figure out uh, how to package it, how to deliver it, what channels to deploy it in. And, and individual sales reps are probably the last place on earth you want to really start that, that journey. It's got to happen more centrally. But So that's part one. Part two, I think, is it, the other place, ways it plays out for marketers is they, um, it really forces a company, I find, to think very differently about the conversations the interactions they're having with their customers. Because at the heart and soul of this entire body of work is this idea that your customers aren't always right, but maybe actually they're wrong. Right. And which is a really interesting thing to think about, because, you know, particularly from a marketing side where we believe the customer is always right. The customer comes first. We're going to be a customer centric organization. We're going to be customer focused. So many different ways we articulate that idea. But sort of at least implicit in those concepts is the idea of we need to listen to the customer, have them tell us what they want and deliver what they ask for. Um, and, and the heart and soul of challenges is the opposite, which is we need to listen to the customer, you know, determine what they want. And then ask a different question, which is, what did they miss? What did they overlook? What if they, what did they get wrong? And so it's been a really interesting journey to watch marketers sort of have to recalibrate how they think about their interactions with customers, how they think about their position vis-a-vis customers in terms of uh, asymmetries of knowledge. Because there's always been a sort of this belief that there is an asymmetry of knowledge; customers more, know more than us. And I've been pounding the drum for 10 years around. There is an asymmetry of knowledge. You know more about customers than they know themselves. And that's your advantage. That's the heart of your advantage. So that's all one big bucket. And then the, la- the second bucket is, um, is the other thing that's happened. I think where marketing really needs to understand sort of the challenger approach is over the last 10 years, of course, Uh, customers have dramatically shifted the way they engage with suppliers away from individual in-person sales interactions through sales reps and more and more, of course, through digital channels. And so in some ways, when you think about like sort of the original story of Challenger for marketers was how can marketing support sales on the Challenger journey? The story today is simply how can marketing create these direct interactions with customers through digital channels? to ensure that the, that we're reframing customers, thinking irrespective of whether or not we're supporting sales at all, although that should still happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to pull up a slide from uh, the meeting that I thought was really very interesting, and uh, I was not expecting this at all. Uh, and it has to do with what you were just talking about, you know, packaging up that content and getting it out there. And I, I was surprised, given that we work with clients a lot around this topic of creating good content and what does good content look like and how do we get more of it this was really an interesting insight to see that the, the customers are really saying you know look we can find what we need to make good decisions so can you talk a little bit more about this this insight because it really is surprising
1: absolutely and then, so this is our latest research this is I don't know, about two months old that you're looking at the, the data that you see on the slide or maybe three but the uh the thing that's so, you know, so I talked about sort of it's challenger, but right. It's like, cause the the environment within which challenger now plays out or commercial insight plays out is, is actually very different. And, and one of the ways it plays out differently today than 10 years ago is, um, the environment or the context of all the other information that our customers have access to, uh, today. So just to back up, you know, it, it's funny, the, um, uh, one, <laughs> One of the very first questions that, that I personally got asked about Challenger when he first rolled out the findings 10 years ago was, okay, Brent, what do I do when everyone's a Challenger and this approach gets completely commoditized because all sales reps have become Challenger and so then there's, like, then there's no differentiated value there. Yeah. Um, and, and the answer is like, well, okay, let's just play this out and see what happens. And it's interesting as you fast forward 10 years down the road to where we are today and I think we can all definitively say not every sales rep in the world is a Challenger. In fact, far from it. So then the second question was, OK, but what happens when or maybe not the rep gets commoditized in terms of challenger ness, but commercial insight gets commoditized because everyone has commercial insight. And again, fast forward 10 years from that day to where we are today, I think particularly companies that have experimented or actually gone full sort of bore at this approach will tell you actually we don't all have commercial insight in fact some of us have tried for three four years don't have commercial insight because it turns out it's really hard to build true quote-unquote commercial insight that leads to your unique strengths that identifies your unique strengths again leads to does lead with and all the different ways that we talk about uh, commercial insight this design but so so you so you could say okay so here we are 10 years on and so the opportunity is just the same but here's what has happened across the last 10 years and and scott you've been you and I both have not only watched this happen to some degree, you and I have been complicit in making this happen, right? But the what's happened over the last five, I think particularly in the last five years, is virtually every company B2B organization out there in some way or another has decided to say, we want to be a thought leader in our industry, right? So we want to we want to demonstrate our differentiable value to the marketplace by showing that we know more about the world and more about our customers uh, than everyone else and whether or not you consider that commercial insight or just broadly speaking commercial insight uh, as thought leadership we're all trying to double down on data-backed analytics that we deliver in white papers and through subject matter experts and we put out digital channels oftentimes uh, sort of supported by our marketing automation system we've all spent gazillions of dollars a technical term on martech right to build marketing automation platforms that that allow us to generate better, higher quality content with higher frequency than ever before, all data backed, all supported by in-person subject matter experts. And so what ha- what's happened is we collectively as suppliers, I think over the last several years, have just flooded the marketplace, the world, if you will, with just massive amounts of quote unquote, high quality content. And so that takes us to the data you see on this page, because when you look at this pie chart over on the left side of this page, in some ways it is the most innocuous looking pie chart I think we've ever published. It's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward, but it's actually terrifying if you think about it, because one of the things we ask customers as part of our research this year, is this is what, just over a thousand individual stakeholders involved in some sort of complex B2B purchase. And we simply ask them the question you see up in the top left, which is agree or disagree on a scale of one to seven, the information we encountered as part of this particular purchase uh, was generally of high quality. And you see that 89% – I, you know, I often joke I'm a liberal arts guy, so I round ups, so that's all of them. But the, uh, it is 89%. The vast majority of individuals have said, you know, the the information we encountered as part of this purchase was generally of high quality. It was, it was pretty smart. It was relevant. It was about us and not just about the world. It was backed by data. It was credible. It was – delivered in a convincing way whether it was in person or through digital channels but and you think well that's great we've all gotten smarter and we say smarter things but what what we're finding is is it leaves customers in a really tough spot right because now everything's believable so it used to be a story if you go back five years you know we've been talking about the world flooded with information we all all of us not just you know us at Gartner but all of us collectively because it's just our reality right the world's been flooded with information for the better part of 10 years now but it was always a story of OK, so I need, to, I need to spend more time separating the signal from the noise. How do I find the good information and separate it from the bad information? But if you fast forward to today, where we are, with, again, with a strategic ambition of being a thought leader and the, and the more improved uh, insight generation capabilities for all the marketing automation, all the new MarTech, and the flood of it, great information, at least decently quality information that we put out there, customers are no longer trying to separate signal from noise. They're trying to separate signal from signal because it all seems right. It's all credible. It's all important. It's all relevant. And now I just don't know what to do because it's like, you know, one company is telling me to zig and here's the data and here's the evidence. And here's the, here's the, 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 the customer testimonials. There's other companies telling me to zag and here's their data and here's their customer testimonials. Here's their evidence. And it all seems right. So now it's like, well, what do I do? And so what we're finding is customers are struggling to make decisions in this environment in which they feel confident uh, because everything seems smart, everything seems right. And yet much of it conflicts and tells me to, to do, uh, to do very different things. So what happens in this world is I just kind of get stuck and I decide either, well, I better research this more, which then just delays that purchase decision even more, or I just decide not to decide, or I decide to like, let me just figure out what does Zig and Zag have in common. Let's uh, let's buy that small skinny piece that of where they overlap in that Venn diagram and just buy that small thing. Cause that's the only thing I feel really confident about is being smart. And so you know, one of the things I ask sales leaders all the time right now is to what degree are our colleagues in marketing stoking the fires of our own doom, which is because I actually <laughs> talk like that, right? But the, uh, but but it's like, you know, so what's interesting is like, you know, all of us listening right now have dashboards blinking red saying, you need another blog post. And it's like, get another blog post out there. And every blog post, every white paper, every piece of content that we're producing actually exacerbates this very problem, which is slowing down buying. And I find that not only interesting as a researcher, I find it kind of terrifying as a as a commercial leader, because it's like the thing that felt so right, be a thought leader is actually now actually it is hampering purchase progress rather than promoting it. So I want to explore what
0: that means for sales. Cause I can remember for years when we were talking about content marketing, what we would hear from sales is look, I don't want to have these introduction conversations, right? Marketing, it get me as far down the conversation to a close as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. And, and now we have all this really good information. So, is this talking, what's, what's that mean in terms of the role of the salesperson? Is it elevating them to some other level where the buyers have done their homework, they've got a lot of research, and now the buyers that are talking with the salespeople, what does that mean, given the amount of availability of really good information in that relationship with the salesperson?
1: You know, it's funny. This is, this is where I always appreciate our different perspectives and different groups of people we talk to, you and I, because the... Um, when I talk to sales reps, they're not saying, hey, marketing, get me farther down the funnel. What they're, what I hear them saying is, hey, marketing, get out of my way and let me do my job. But but I think it's kind of plays out the same sort of way, which is like, I'll, I got this, let me take care of it. But one way or another, the implication for sales reps and conversations are having, I think is is huge because, and, and again, for marketers, marketers in the degree to which they're supporting sales reps, absolutely huge too. And and what we're studying now is what are the implications for marketing full stop, irrespective of whether you think of it as mediated by sales. But in this world, it's, if we had to sort of, articulate the problem. The The problem that we're seeing customers having right now, again, is not a supplier problem. It's their own problem, which is it's not the quantity of information, but it's the high quantity of quality information, right? So it's like, I'm just overwhelmed with too many good, smart insights. And so if that is in fact the problem, then that leaves us this weird position. like, well, so should I say dumb things? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, what, it's like, what are you doing? This world, right? By the way, this is why Challenger is still just as relevant today, because that isn't the answer. But But it is insufficient. Now, it may be necessary, but insufficient. Because if I'm in a position now, just approaching my customer as a sales rep with one more insight that my marketing team has provided me, one more pitch deck that changes the way they think about their business or gives them a new idea to think about, I don't actually help the customer. I I just make them even more overwhelmed. And so what we wanted to study on the sales side this year is this question of like, okay, so if, if the problem we need to solve is high quantities of high quality information, then we need to understand what is the best approach a sales rep might adopt in working with customers and how they handle, how they use, how they think about information. And, and in doing that, we found these three very different approaches of, of sales reps so, uh, uh, and sort of what are the predominant approaches that sales reps adopt in using information, engaging customers with information. And we asked that of customers and and derived through a lot of analysis, their, their perceptions. And what we found is sort of these three different, very distinct approaches that sales reps adopt uh, towards information. One is giving, one is telling, and one is sense making. And so briefly giving is that sales rep says, you want information? I got information. It's like, so Is a, so my primary strategy as a giver or as, as a giving sales rep is uh, this idea that more is better. So if customers ask me for more information, I give them more information. And by the way, there's another thing on top of that. And I provide more data, more research. And we, You can kind of imagine how that's going to play out given everything we just talked about. The second sort of approach to information we found is telling, which is, it, this is the, I like to think of this like the classic subject matter expert who often starts sentence or, or you know conversations with, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. And in my experience, what I think you need to do is X. So it's like, let me tell you what you need to do. Here's my advice. And finally, there's this third approach, which is sense making, which is very much a closer is much, it's much much closer to this idea of like, look, there's a lot of information out there. It's all pretty good. I imagine it's also a little bit overwhelming. Let me see if we can just take a step back and and let me help you just make sense not just of what you're hearing from us, but what you're hearing from everywhere else too, to take our information, put it in the context of everything else, help you figure out what's what matters, what's important, and just how to make sense of it all. And and you can imagine when we, and we can dig into this if you want, or we can just leave it at that. But when we dig into like who's most likely to succeed in this environment, uh, those sales reps engaging in sense-making are just night and day, head and shoulders, uh, performing more dramatically or, or performing dramatically better than either sales reps engaged in, uh, in giving and telling. And, and it's raised, I think it's just so indicative of the times that we live in today, Scott, which is Customers overwhelmed with information. What they're saying is, I just need someone to help me make sense of all this. What what do I even believe? What what do I prioritize? Because I don't have a rubric. I don't have a metric. I don't have a a yardstick that's going to allow me to do that in any way that makes me feel confident. And if someone can help me do that, that's what I'm really looking for.
0: So that's interesting. So confidence is, and it came up through the research a couple of times here, was really key to feeling like I'm making a good business decision as a buyer, right? Yeah. Can you talk about the elements of the different levels of confidence that they felt like they needed to have in order to be able to make a good, high value purchase decision with low regret?
1: Yeah. So this is this stuff is so interesting to me. In fact, you know, so I'm just putting together the keynote for a big Vegas conference coming up here in a couple of weeks, um, our sales conference. And, and in many ways, I'm trying to think like how where do I stop on the hyperbole because you know how I can get a little carried away sometimes. But but I think in some ways, what we really have is almost like a crisis of, of confidence among customers in this new environment. But what's interesting is it's not that yeah you know, we've all been talking about confidence, particularly on the marketing side, right, for years. Like I want my customers to feel confident in us as a supplier, confident in in choosing us, confident in our in our products, our solution. It's one of the reasons why we want to demonstrate to the world that we're a thought leader because it creates confidence in us. But what we're finding today is that the problem with confidence is not that your customers aren't confident in you. It's that they're not confident in themselves, that they're they they they're lacking this sense of dimensions of confidence that keep showing up for things like, are we confident that we looked at the right information? Are we confident that we asked the right questions? Are we confident that we've done sufficient homework or research? Are we confident that we have identified the issues that matter most? Because you can imagine if I'm particularly, because everything we study is largely complex, you know, expensive solutions, things that on average, or at least at a median or a million dollar type solutions. And and if you're going to invest million potentially of dollars on a cloud solution, an IT solution, a capital investment, on a, on a service engagement, a consulting engagement, you want to feel pretty good about that because if that thing goes off the rails, someone's going to ask a lot of hard questions. So it's like, you want to feel confident in your purchase. And yet when this kind of environment you say, well, have we looked at the right information? I don't know. There's a lot of it out there and it kind of conflicts Have we identified the questions that matter most. It's hard to say because this one tells me these things matter most. And that person tells me those things matter most. And so this is a really interesting question of when you start thinking about this sort of finish line for purchase, because Scott, I don't know if you noticed, but I, what I noticed in all that language, because all, all that language, like identify the, the the question, the information matters most, they and, and identify the right questions. Those are literally, those, those sort of metrics are sourced from customers themselves in all of our interviews. And when I hear that list come back, the thing I always notice about it is how subjective it is, right? So it's like, have we identified the right questions? Well, what does right mean? How, how do I know? Have we identified the issues that matter most? well, what does matter most mean? Mo- more than what? What does most mean? And so, so we've come to sort of, I, at least personally, I think we have both collectively in our research have come to appreciate is there doesn't seem to be really an objective finish line to any of this stuff. Rather, customers, so you think, so when does a purchase happen? A purchase happens when customers, it's not about what they know, it's about what they feel. And specifically, do they feel confident in those things, that those are the right questions, that those are the issues that matter most? And so, what gets me really excited in supporting suppliers around the world is then asking the question, what can we do as suppliers to create that kind of confidence yeah. in our customers? Now, again, not make them feel confident in us, but confident in themselves that those were the right questions. Those are the issues that matter most. And, and this is where I think marketing comes stage left, you know, interstage left, full board, because that's what marketing does, right? We're, we're in the business of creating those kinds of self-perceptions, or at least tapping into the self-perceptions of our customers, certainly on the consumer side, that's what marketing has been from the very beginning. And what an interesting, fun, if you, if you geek out on marketing, like you and I do, holy, this is so cool, right? Because like, there's never been a time where what we want to do in marketing and just what's right for the world have ever been so perfectly aligned as today, right? Because by helping your customers feel better about themselves, you will actually sell more in this environment. And it's like, that is a perfect alignment of incentives, which I get super excited about because it means we can make the world a better place while still doing marketing at the same time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a tremendous opportunity, especially with what's going on in the world right now. You know, right? You know, we've got trade war on, and we've got uncertainty. We've got an election year coming up, and so I, I agree. Helping customers feel confident in making decisions instead yeah. of sitting on them, which. We got a couple questions about breaking through status quo and and pipeline stalling uh, along the way. And I want to get to that in a second. You know, it's really important to be able to make sure that they feel good, that they are doing their due diligence and actually being able to make a good decision. And and it just seems to be dragging on longer and longer. So to that point, we did get questions about people are saying, hey, look, things seem to be dragging out in terms of decisions. Pipelines seem to be stalling. Uh, you know, does Brent have any really good ideas about how we can get some acceleration or break through the status quo? You know, because people are really saying, look, it's coming into the fourth quarter and things are dragging out. So any advice for folks that are sitting out there trying to figure out how to get things to fall out of the pipeline?
1: Yeah. And my sense is, that this isn't research, it's just me calling the ball and gut feel, but I think we'd all agree, to some degree, is it, it just feels like it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? I mean, it, if nothing else, you look at the economic projections now and recession or threats of recession, of course, in every headline today, it seems, um, which is hard to say whether it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Predicting recession is very, very difficult, if not impossible, but it's just like just, but you don't need the actual date. All you need is that malaise, right? All that, that concern. It's like, maybe we should start pulling back. We'll talk ourselves into recession at some point. So that seems to be how it always goes. But then I think, you know, Scott, again, because you are so good and you've always been so good at looking at the human side, the individual side of B2B marketing. That's your specialty. And I, I think we can't overlook just the malaise that, I don't know about all of us feel, but let's face it, a lot of us feel of just, again, the environment, the politics, the, the discourse. It just, we're bombarded every single day with just tension and separation and concern and I think that carries, you, you carry that to work. We all do because we're human, right? And all that plays out and like, now i got to make a bet on a million dollar solution. So it's just a tough time, frankly. And so I, I think the thing that marketers slash suppliers really need to focus on in this environment is what can we do to make it easier? Literally, just to help customers feel more confident about themselves and the decisions they make. So this goes back to where we started this conversation. You know, it's like, is commercial insight, as challenge just as relevant today? Absolutely. But if you go to your customers' day with one more insight that bends their brand and changes the way they think about their business in this kind of environment, in some ways, arguably, you're not helping; you're just making things worse. Again, the, the argument, therefore, is not to say, "Well, then, don't do it." Yeah. But in addition to that, there's this whole other opportunity. And I think someone just asked me this morning, "Okay, who's good at this?" And my answer was nobody yet, because I don't think people are really onto this yet. So, what an opportunity for differentiation, first-mover advantage, which is, and, and we work; our advisors work literally all day, every day with our client companies figuring out like step-by-step, step, what does this process look like? But at a high level, as you know, Scott, we often refer to this as buyer enablement, which is this idea of enabling customers to buy more easily. But the, and the crucial point here is, well, we could dig into this in depth or we could, I'll just throw it out there for now though, is the crucial point is not how do I make it easier for my customers to buy from us, right? Which by the way, is a good thing to do. That's that bring in the customer experience team, map out the touch points The Six Sigma walks around and bangs out all the touch points and makes our contracting process easier and makes our, customer service team more efficient. All that stuff's good to do, but that's not at all what we're talking about here because most of what customers are struggling with has nothing to do with you as a supplier at all. It's just their own internal complexity, That all that information, all those different people they can have all those different competing priorities. They're just having a hard time coming together, coalescing, building consensus around a clear path of, of, of a course of action that they feel good about. So I, I think you know the incremental opportunity for marketers in this environment is to systematically begin to map out What's hard about buying today? And, and, and specific, here's the language I use, and it's, it's, it feels hair splitting, but it's really important because the distinction matters. Otherwise you wind up in false positives. But the, it's not what's hard about buying from us or what's hard about buying our solution. It's what's hard about buying a solution like ours. See the difference? It's not not what's hard about buying our solution, but what's hard about buying a solution like ours? Because what we're really encouraging companies to do is, is to get into the customer organization, identify what are all the pitfalls? What are all the left turns? What are all the, the, the weird, the, the, you know, the people that get involved at the last minute and blow things up, the, the weird governance issues that showed up at the last minute that nobody inside the customer organization saw coming that drive them crazy and send the deal off the rails or back to review one more time. You know, uh, I think you in fact, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen our, what I call the spaghetti bowl diagram, right? Which is like, if you map out a if you map out a B2B buying purchase today, it isn't a set of arrows that follow in a nice, clean, linear order. It's just like lines going everywhere and starts and stops one step forward, two steps back. We call it the spaghetti bowl. And, and when I ask, I ask marketers all the time, I said, who's in a better position to know what that purchase process looks like for your customer? Is it you or your customer? And everyone, because we're all marketers, we're all customer-centric, we say it's our customer. Of course they know what buying looks like. And and we would argue based on everything we've seen, it's not your customer. They don't. It's you because where they're buying this stuff for the first time, or at least these people are involved in the first time. Because there's so much churn and turnover at leadership levels, you're selling this stuff every single day. And when when something goes off the rails inside your customer organization, they all say, "Wow, I didn't see that coming." You're sitting there thinking, "Well, I totally saw that coming because this happened to us three times already just this quarter, right?" So so for marketers, we're the soul, we're the heart of customer understanding in our organization. If there's one thing we all own as marketers, it's got to be that. But In this world, what a different opportunity for a very different kind of customer understanding that we've actually built a whole interview guide around sitting down with customers. You can do this through customer advisory boards. You can do this through hopping on sales calls. You can do it through focus groups or go to your, your conference, your trade show, and just off the cuff interviewing customers. But begin to ask questions of your customers like, which information did you acquire? Which information did you find as part of your purchase process? Which information did you find helpful? Which information confused you? Who was involved? Who should have been involved? When did they get involved? Should they have gotten involved earlier? So we're just some really high-level questions. Like, if you had to do this purchase all over again, what would you do differently that would have made your lives easier? Or if you were to give advice to some other company about to go on this purchase journey, what advice would you give them to save them some of the pain that that you encountered as part of this purchase? But that is a really, I, I think, the single biggest opportunity for marketers today is to begin to map out that journey, that purchase journey of what are all the crazy landmines and loopholes and two step forward, one step back, one step forward, two step back, all those missteps, frustrations that our customers go on in buying not our solution, but a solution like ours, and then begin to build systematically an ecosystem of help. How can I then, whether it's buyer enablement, this takes the form of content, which you can deliver in person, you can deliver through digital channels, Things like calculators, diagnostics, buying guides, roadmaps, recommender tools. And, and we've got a whole suite of those and a whole showcase of examples. But how can we begin to think, either, whether or not we're reframing their business and changing the way to think about their business, how can we just irrespective of that or agnostic of that, just, just take them by the hand to become their buying Sherpa and, yeah. and help them feel good about the steps they're taking, the information they're evaluating, the people they're involving. To make good decisions so they feel confident to take action as opposed to just land in status quo because they, they're too hamstrung to, to make progress. Right, right. So we're getting
0: close to the last question. Yeah. And so it, fall is fall planning season. So if you had to give advice to sales and marketers, top three things to be thinking about as they go into fall planning, and that could be investments they need to make. Yeah capabilities they need to bring into the organization if you had to give them three things to be thinking about as they they look at fall planning in the context of the environment they're in that you
1: just yeah what would it be i think step number one is exactly what i just kind of laid out which is um are how are we systematically trying to understand the difficulties that our customers face in buying a solution like ours so again, this is not something you hand over to your CX team because they will answer a different question, which is what's hard about buying from us. Again, valuable, just not this. So again, whether it's sales, marketing, working together, I'm always agnostic. Like, who should do this? Brent's like, I don't care, just get it done. But I know that's not helpful. So it, it could be sales enablement, it could be marketing, marketing ops. But but the, by the way, the nice thing about that, Scott, in my mind, is this isn't go out and buy another two million dollars worth of martech, right? This isn't like build a new. How do I integrate my data and, and which is really hard and really expensive? This is like just. Go talk to your customers. Ask them these kinds of questions. I mean, like in in the the world of budgeting season, that's a great thing to hear. It's like so. That's number one. Number two, then picking up on that is then beginning to ask the following question, which is, what are we doing to make it easier? Are we actually once we've identified what's hard about buying a solution like ours, what are the steps we are taking to make it easier to buy that kind of solution? And then third is it's all kind of tied together. Are we aligned across the sales and marketing boundary? Do we have leadership involved in this vision? In fact, you know, the, the, what I find, by the way, because to do this well, it really takes a lot of good collaboration across sales and marketing, across digital and in-person channels. And really what I find for that kind of collaboration to be effective and really truly work is senior leadership. And this is just your head of marketing, your head of sales. I mean, like all the way up to the CEO, you have to be agreed on that this is an important thing to be focused on. So I often tell people that the one question is really worthwhile for you to take back to your organization and sit down in your next executive leadership team, meaning, or, you know, whatever you call your, your executive leadership team, the the C-suites, when you, when the C-suite team gets together and has a conversation about strategy and planning and future and the thing you're talking, the kinds of things you're talking about, Scott, I would, I would encourage everyone to put this question on the table, which is to what degree do we believe our customer struggle to buy is directly impacting our company's ability to grow? Yeah. Do we think that's true? And, and by the way, everything in our research tells us definitively, it is absolutely true. Your customer struggle to buy is directly impacting your company's ability to grow. And, and and then ask yourselves as a leadership team, do we believe that one? And two, where does that sit on the priority list of things we've got to get done in the next six to 12 months? And and again, everything we're seeing in our data is that that belongs in the top three, 100%. I mean, there's integrating your data, figuring your value proposition, you know, employee engagement, all those things. I, I don't want to... Somehow imply those things are less important or not important, but but if you're trying to figure out how do we get our how do we sell more stuff, the answer is you got to find ways to get your customers comfortable with buying more stuff, and right now they are deeply uncomfortable, and so that's what you got to solve for, and and uh, full stop.
0: That's that's great insight. Speaking of great insight. So we saw a lot of really great new research from Gardner in July. I know you're going to share more of it, and you're going to go yeah. deep in your sales conference. So. Uh, the last couple of minutes we have here, you want to give a little preview about the sales conference that's coming up, when it's coming up, and, and a little bit about what they might learn there.
1: Uh, sure, I'd love to. So, so we're in we're at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas this year, uh, and it is gosh, it's only two weeks away. So it's the week of October, uh, excuse me, September. It usually is in October, but it's, this week it's September. It's the week of September sixteenth. The actual conference starts on the seventeenth, runs two and a half days. A lot of what we're talking about today, I will try to capture. I'm working on it right now, capturing in a forty five minute keynote, but then it will. We'll have breakouts on all these ideas of, of sense making uh, and buyer enablements and some of those uh, sort of more applied ideas. But we'll also do just a full run, it's like any good sales conference, and I think ours is if I may, it's one of the best, is then we'll we'll have just a whole suite of or a whole run of, of different tracks and breakouts around not just these types of issues, but just some of the more tactical questions that whether you're sales enablement or for that matter, I think marketing enablements or mar- marketing operations, probably a better term for it. Um, but any any sort of function or sub-function that is designed to support sales reps and being more effective would have, would find m- mo- much of this content, if not all of it, I think to be really, really effective and helpful. Um, and we'd love to see you there.
0: Oh, great. Great. Sounds great. And I uh, appreciate your time today. So uh, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out in Vegas. Awesome, Scott. Thanks so much.